You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. Weekly devotion about what is happening in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor at Cornerstone. And today I want to talk to you, well, I want to talk about a couple of things that are happening in the life of the body, and then I want us to get into the chapter on reconciliation that we're looking at this week. Now, the biggest thing that's happening this week for us, we're going to celebrate, or actually we're going to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross, and then we're going to celebrate that appropriately, and then we're going to remember the resurrection of Christ, and we're going to celebrate that appropriately. This Friday, we're going to be having a Tenebrae service uh, on Good Friday, starting at 7 p.m., where we're going to remember the cross and remember the events leading up to the cross. And we're going to gather together as the people of God, and we're going to sing songs that remind us of what took place on Good Friday. We're going to listen to the scriptures read, and we're going to experience in a very physical, very real way uh, the, what, what it was like when the, the light of the world was taken out and darkness came in. And then we're going to leave that service uh, contemplating the cross and the tomb and the death of our Lord. And then we're going to come back on Sunday and we're going to celebrate the fact that the tomb is now empty. Christ has indeed been resurrected. And so I'm looking forward to this. I hope that you are too. So make plans to be with us for that, for that celebration. But this week, we're also going to be reading about what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection accomplished for us. And we're going to be reading about that in the the book by Jerry Bridges, The Gospel for Real Life. This chapter, we're in chapter 8, and this chapter is titled Reconciliation. And reconciliation is a word that many of us are familiar with. It's it's a very common word that's used within Christian theology. And this word helps us to understand, um, well, basically what has happened in our relationship to God. So to be reconciled means a few things. And, And Jerry Bridges opens up the chapter with this great story, this great narrative about a young man who is uh, in his teenage years, he's 16 years old, and he is really struggling with his relationship with his parents. And there comes a point where uh, there's a crisis moment, and he ends up leaving, and he ends up leaving badly. He leaves in anger, he leaves in frustration, and he's ugly to his parents in the process. And he goes out, obviously, thinking that life is going to be better away from mom and dad in someone else's home. He goes and he stays with a friend and he realizes that life is not better there. In fact, it's worse. He might have more freedoms, but he doesn't have more freedoms because his, you know, the, the parents at this home um, just you know, want them to enjoy things. It's just that these parents are negligent and there's no love there. And so this young man who, that Jerry Bridges t- names Justin Carter, this young man, he, he comes to long for what he once had with his family, the love that he had with his family. And, and then he comes back and he confesses his sin. And there's this beautiful story. It's really a wonderful illustration of reconciliation. But in the end, that's what exactly happens. This young man is reconciled. He is now back in a healthy, right relationship with mom and dad. Now, there's all kinds of ways that we would understand and maybe illustrate uh, in our lives the need for something like that, some kind of a reconciliation. And, and one of the ways that we can think about that is that we just, just think for a moment about all the different divisions that there are in your life. 
Think about all the divisions there are in families and in culture and in the world. I mean, all the way from really silly divisions, like right now we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament and there's all these different teams that are playing against one another and you've got different rivalries uh, that are playing out. There's division over who's rooting for whom. Uh, but but even in just culture, there's different political philosophies. There's different ethical philosophies. There's, there's different theological heritage issues that we have to deal with within the Christian faith. Some of the divisions that we have in our lives are really simple, and some of them are more serious. They're more eternally serious, like our religious beliefs and our worldviews. You might have a neighbor or a friend that, that doesn't practice any faith at all. They're an atheist. You may have a a neighbor or a friend or even a family member who's not a Christian. Maybe they're Mormon or, or, or you know, Muslim or something else. And these are real divisions. And, and we have to deal with these divisions on a very regular daily basis in some cases. And some of these divisions cause more stress in our lives than others. But here's the reality, and here's what Bridges wants us to see. All of these smaller divisions... Even, even the important ones, they pale in comparison to the division that matters most. The division that matters most is the division between man and God. Or, or to put it more clearly, the division that exists between sinful man and a holy God. Now, throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we see what, what that division looks like. Um, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus talks about there being a division between heaven and what, what appears to be Hades. And there's this division that is uh, what he describes as a great immovable chasm. There's this great chasm that is fixed and it can't be changed. It can't be moved. And the illustration there is that between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, there's this unbridgeable space between. It's the greatest division that we will ever experience. Now, the New Testament gives us some explanation of what this division is like, at least theologically. For instance, in Ephesians 2, I referenced Ephesians 2 last week, but I'm going to reference it again today. Um, In Ephesians 2, we find that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were following the course of the world, we were following the prince of the power of the air, that we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're completely on the other side of the spectrum from God. Um, In Colossians chapter 1, we read that we were once alienated from God and hostile in our minds and doing evil with our deeds. Um, That language is all over the New Testament. We were dead while God is alive. We were darkness while God is light. We were alienated, hostile, angry. We were just separated from God. And the beautiful picture of the gospel is that Jesus has come to destroy this division, and the, the, what he accomplishes is what we call reconciliation. The separation between us and God is there because of our sin. We looked at that a little bit last week, that he ransoms us. The price that is paid is that ransom price that overcomes the guilt of our sin and the, the uh, curse of the law. But the actual functional moving us from one place to another is what we would call reconciliation. This is what Christ came to accomplish, to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. 
Now, that's the good news of the gospel. Let's just dial into that a little bit better. The good news of the gospel is that the reconciliation that occurs is not our work, it's His work. In fact, the Bible is going to say in Romans chapter 5 that we were weak, we were dead in our sins, and we were still weak, weakened by our, our sinful state. And in our weakness, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 8, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the point of that. We were alienated. We were hostile. We were separated from God. And and we're not the ones that overcome that separation. Christ is. Christ is the one that comes and does the reconciling work. And so you could think of it this way. We are the ones who are reconciled, but God is the one who does the reconciling. Um, this relationship with God that needs to be restored so that we can have access to God and have life with God, all of the work that is done is done by Him to bring us back into that relationship. The good news of the gospel is that God Himself took the initiative by sending His Son to die in our place to satisfy His justice and absorb His wrath. And here's the beauty of that. For most of us, we can look at it from an experiential standpoint. When we were born again, we weren't necessarily, I mean, we weren't pursuing God. I know I wasn't pursuing God. I was pursuing my own way. I was going my own direction. I was living as if I was my own God. And God didn't really wait for me to clean myself up. He, he brought me back to Him. He intervened. He interrupted my life, and He reconciled me to Him. He changed my heart, and He applied the work of Christ to me then. All I did to require this was to sin. <laughs> I did nothing to earn it, nothing to merit it, No, did you. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did all that was required to remove the guilt, to remove the enmity, and to reconcile us to himself while we were still enemies. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful reminder of the gospel reality. Now, what does it mean to be reconciled to God? Well, being reconciled to God means now we are his sons. We are his daughters. Think about that. We go from being enemies of God to being sons of God. We should have been on our faces before God, pleading and imploring Him to reconcile us, and we weren't. He still loved us, and He did. Instead, God reconciled us to Himself, but now we've come to understand something. We are sons and we are daughters. What a beautiful picture of the mercy and grace of God. Our salvation is a pure act of grace. We've done nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it, and yet we have it freely because of Christ. Now, this is a beautiful picture, but it's also just something that we need to remember. We need to come back to over and over and over, not just in our minds, but in our hearts as well. We, we need to be, you know, like the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, when he finally realized what, what, had, what was there, the separation that existed between him, he, he comes back to the father and, and he just, he wants to confess his sin. He wants to show his father how much of a fool he's been. He wants to show his father how much he doesn't deserve all these things. And, and we need to be that. We need to feel that, be humbled by this. But also we need to be reminded that our father was waiting the whole time. In fact, in the gospel story, the father sends the son to come and get us. 
and bring us back in. And when we come back, he puts a robe on our back, a ring on our finger, and he falls upon us and he kisses us on the neck because of his love. That's what reconciliation looks like. And that's what reconciliation has done. We've been reconciled to God. We now have relationship with him because of Christ. We were alienated and hostile. Now we're his. What a beautiful picture. Now, what we've been doing over the last eight weeks is we've just been looking at various aspects of the gospel and trying to dial into those things, trying to understand exactly what it is that God has done for us through Christ. And and Jerry Bridges on page 88, he actually summarizes all of those things. He says, here's what we've looked at over the last several weeks. We've looked at what Jesus has done for us in this gospel work. He's perfectly obeyed the law of God where we could not. He satisfied the justice of God where we could not. He exhausted the wrath of God for us and in our place. He removed our sins from the presence of God and now he's redeemed us from the curse and reconciled us back to our heavenly father. And one thing, he says, one thing is readily apparent. Every work of Christ is directed toward God. It is His law that was obeyed. It was His justice that was satisfied. It was His wrath that was propitiated. It was His holy presence from which our sins were removed. His curse from which we were redeemed and alienated from His presence. And and now we are back. And this Godward focus of Christ's atoning work tells us that it is the integrity of God's moral government and the upholding of His honor and glory that is the primary issue in our salvation. Now that that changes things because we're enjoying the benefits of this salvation, but Bridges wants us to remember, no, it's God that deserves glory for all of this. Yes, we enjoy the benefits, but even in enjoying those benefits, we should be bringing glory to God and praising Him because of what He has done and who He is. And when we are gripped by these truths in the very core of who we are, brothers and sisters, we can respond with amazement, and not only amazement, but a a stirring desire to honor this God who has saved us and given us a place at the table. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I should glory in anything save the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's what reconciliation does. It not only draws us back into relationship, but it helps us to see what was overcome, and the benefits we have, and where glory belongs. So that's chapter 8. Next week, we'll look a little bit more. We'll look a little bit further about what is what does it mean to have right standing with God. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.